If you brought your Bibles this morning, and I hope that you have, turn with me to the book of Lamentations. To the book of Lamentations, the third chapter, right after the book of Jeremiah. It's also authored by Jeremiah as well. Um, as you're finding the book of Lamentations, the third chapter, uh, I'll give you just a moment to find it. Uh, I want to say this, my intention this morning is to preach hard and to preach uh, just exactly what God wants me to, and that's it, not to beat around the bush. Uh, and so I guess you might say my, my intention is to preach hard and to preach fast. So here we go, Lamentations chapter 3. I want you to begin by just reading one verse. Now, we'll read a lot more of this chapter as time goes on. But right now, let's just read one verse and we'll go to the Lord together in a word of prayer. Verse 39 says, Wherefore doth a living man complain, a man for the punishment of his sins? Keep that scripture in your mind. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just humbly come before you this morning thanking you for the good day and for the many blessings. Thanking you, Lord, for the opportunity to gather here to worship together. Thanking you, Lord, for each one who's come out here this morning. Thanking you for each one who's prayed. Thanking you for each one who has shared their talents here this morning. Thanking you, Lord, for just the many blessings that you poured out on us. But thanking you most of all for your son, Jesus, Lord God, that you sent him and that you give him so that we might have life here this morning and we might have thy life eternally and abundantly. We don't deserve it. We're not worthy of it. Uh, and Lord, I pray that each one of us here recognizes that and realizes that. But God, you knew that. That's no shock or surprise to you. But God, knowing that, you still uh, give us the very best that you had. You still sent and gave your only begotten Son to die for us. And Lord, we're not worthy of that and we don't deserve it. But God, let us always be a people that has nothing but praise and glory on our lips for you. Because you alone are worthy of it. And Lord, I just pray simply this morning... Have your way in our midst. Move in a mighty way here this morning. God, you are the searcher of hearts. There is nothing that is hidden from you. God, I'm praying, Lord, that you would reveal to us where it is that we fall short. God, I pray if there's anything in our life, anything in our heart, anything that we are dwelling on in our minds that does not belong there, God, that you would bring it to our attention. God, that you would convict us of it. God, that you wouldn't give us any peace until we would repent. And get it out of there and get things right with you before it's everlasting too late. Lord, most of all, if there is any among us that don't know you, if there's any that are lost and undone, maybe there's some here that aren't right with you and they know they ain't right with you. Then again, maybe there's some here that have fooled themselves, have allowed themselves to be deceived. They've got a false sense of hope and a false sense of security. God, my prayer this morning is that you would just unveil it to them. God, that you would just show them how bare and naked they are before you. God, my prayer this morning is that every single person would leave here knowing you as Lord and Savior. Leave here saved, names written in the Lamb's Book of Life, on their way to heaven. That's my heart's desire. And Lord, I know that you've given me the task, you've given me the job of preaching your word this morning. 
And Lord, I'm unqualified. I am not able. I am not capable. But Lord, you've called me to do it anyway, so here I stand. God, clear my mind of everything but your message, your thoughts, your words, place on my tongue the very things you'd have me to say. God, I'm asking for your holy anointing, Lord, for your unction, Lord. I'm asking, Lord, for a great moving of your spirit. God, I'm asking, Lord, that as I open my mouth that you would fill it with the words you'd have me to speak. God, that it, they would know that it is just it is from you. God, through my spirit to theirs as one dying man to another. God, my prayer is, is that you would just have your way and your will here in the midst and we'll be sure and give you every bit of the glory for it because we love you, we worship you, and we praise your holy name. God, we love you, we thank you, and we ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. The book of Lamentations was written by Jeremiah the prophet. Uh, as I mentioned a while ago, he is known as the weeping prophet. This book of Lamentations uh, would be part of it because it is th th that's just it's almost like a tearful addition to the book of Jeremiah, but the content of it is far different. I don't know if you've ever spent much time in the book of Lamentations. It's actually five poems. That's all that it is, okay? And in, in the book of Jeremiah is historical and prophetic. The book of Lamentations, it, it, it is not. It is emotional and it is heartbreaking, right? Heartrending. If you listen to it, it, you read it and you listen to it and you listen to what God says through it, right? Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, right? As he has oversaw, right? Meaning he is, it's like he has looked down upon and saw the, the desolation and the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple right at the hands of the Babylonians because of the sins of the people, right? It's the wrath of God being poured out. And Jeremiah's heart has been broken over the sin and the destruction that is a result of that sin on this nation. I could probably say some of those same things about our own nation here this morning, couldn't I? As we look at the text that God has directed us to this morning in chapter 3 and verse 39, listen to it again as it says, Wherefore doth a living man complain, a man for the punishment of his sins? The word complain is the word that is commonly translated as murmur. We see it especially further back in the Old Testament, but we see it a lot of times in the Old Testament, that same word translated murmur. We might, you could use other words uh, like fret, worry, vex, moan, groan. But it all boils down to the word that the translators who were uh, under the inspiration and the moving of God used here, complain. Did you know, I mean, surely you know this, that we as Americans, uh, when I say Americans, I really mean citizens of the United States, we are the biggest complainers in the world. Did you know that? Is that a surprise or a shock to anybody? I don't know that there's any official data on that, but I would stake, as the saying goes, I'd bet the farm on the fact that as Americans, we top the list 
that it's not even a close race. We are the biggest complainers in the world. We complain about everything. We complain about the weather. We complain about politics. We complain about our jobs. We complain about our finances. Heaven forbid we complain about our church and about our pastor and about the decisions and the things that we do. We complain about our health, right? We spend a lot of time complaining about that one. We complain about our friends. We complain about our relatives. We complain about the the vehicles that we drive, right? We complain about our homes. We complain about our yards. We complain about our neighbors. We even complain about the fruits and the vegetables at the grocery store. Speaking of which, if you got to complain about your cucumbers, there's some back there in the back you can have on the way out, all right? Don't, but don't come back and complain about them. Nolan will not have any of it. You name it, and we'll complain about it. Whatever happened to what it says in the Word of God when it says, uh, it's in First Thessalonians chapter 5. It says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Where did that go? How about Philippians 4.11 where Paul was talking about that he's not speaking in respect of one because he says, For I have learned to in whatsoever state I am in therewith to be content. What happened to that? What about where it talks about, you know, being anxious for nothing or being careful for nothing, meaning being anxious, right? That's just a couple verses further. We are the most prosperous nation on the face of the earth. Anybody amen that one? We are the most prosperous nation on the face of the earth. Maybe throughout all of history, all right? We are the most prosperous nation on the face of the earth. We have every convenience under the sun. Guarantee you, guarantee you there's people in here this morning, right, that if given voice would complain that it's too hot and some would complain that it's too cold. Every convenience under the sun. I remember I, as a kid, I grew up in an old farmhouse. We didn't have no central heat. We didn't even have a window air conditioner. Some really hot days, I'd go stand in front of the refrigerator with the refrigerator door open until somebody yelled at me. I, don't worry, I'd yell at my kids for doing that now for sure. We complain. We complain. We complain. We complain. Going back to our text and lamentations. Here is the question. Why would a living man, and it, when it says man, it means it in the sense of mankind. So I'll say person. Why would a living person complain? That's the question that's being asked here. The emphasis in that sentence is on living. Why would a living man complain? Why would he, especially since the mercies and compassion of God never fail? And are daily 
renewed, right? The Lord himself is the portion of his people. And seeing that he is good to them uh, that seek him, and it is good to wait, right, quietly for the salvation of God, why then would any living person complain? I think here in the book of Lamentations, it um, shows us the absurdity of complaining. I want you to notice, and I'm going to point out to you three things real quick here this morning. Three things that every living person has going for them. Okay? So the first thing is we have hope. Look at verse, let's back up. I said we'd read more of this. Look at verse 19. 19 uh, through 24 for a minute. Jeremiah the prophet says, Remembering mine affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall, my soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. This I recall to my mind. Therefore have I hope. Right here, this is the turning point in this whole book. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fall not. Listen, it is because of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. I talked to you last week. Do you think we're here by chance today? Do you think, just as Benjamin Franklin said, that an empire can rise without God's notice, if not even a sparrow can fall from the ground without him taking notice of it? Do you think, right, all these things that we're complaining about, right, all these comforts and everything that we are blessed with and we enjoy and we prosper with here, it is the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because of his compassions. Fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my, post, uh, my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. In the first, I started at verse 19. So if you back up and you read the first 18 verses, it depicts Jeremiah as the suffering servant. And in reading these verses, one must ask themselves the question, how could anyone stand up under such awful torture? His enemies have almost killed him, right? But he was still alive. Therefore, he was hopeful. When disaster comes, and it surely will, hang on to these three words. We have hope. Why? Because it means that you're still alive. As long as there is life, there is hope. Let me share something with you here this morning. Hope is a marvelous thing. With it, we can face almost any kind of problem, regardless of what it is, right? Uh, but without it, you're dead. Do you hear me? Without it, you're dead. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the church in Ephesus, he reminded them of these past uh, conditions, right? Brother Randy read it to us this morning. Just to sum it up, he said, As Gentiles, uh, you were dead in trespasses and sins. You walked according to the course of this world. You were, by nature, the children of wrath. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers from the covenant of, of promise. You were without God in the world, having no hope. Listen, when all hope is gone, 
there's nothing left to hang on to. And I wish that I could stand here before you this morning and I could give you hope. But the kind of hope that everyone needs is the kind of hope that only God can give. And as long as we are alive, as long as we have breath in our lungs, as long as we are still above ground, we have hope. We have hope of forgiveness. We have hope of another day. We have hope that things will be better tomorrow. We have hope of what, that whatever is troubling us right now, that it will be fixed, right? We have hope that things will get better. There is always hope. Paul tells us in his, uh, his letter to the Corinthians that the three greatest virtues, I'll use that word, the three greatest virtues in life are faith, hope, and charity. And when he's talking about charity, he means love. So faith, hope, and love, right? And your faith, it may fail, your love, it might grow cold, but if you still got breath in you, if you are still alive, you have hope, right? Hope that you'll get the first two back, right? You have hope, hope that you might... That, I mean, that might be the only thing that you've got going for you. But it was enough to keep Jeremiah. As Jeremiah sat and watched the destruction of the beloved Jerusalem and of the temple and of his people. It was the hope, right, that this isn't going to be forever. It was enough to keep Jeremiah going. And it's enough for you too and for me. So we have hope. We also have patience. Verse 25 and 26. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a person to both hope and wait upon the Lord. That's what I mean by patience. What does it mean to wait for the salvation of the Lord? Well, for those in captivity, right? Remember what's happening, what he is writing, what he is lamenting over here, what he is crying over, right? Is he has watched, right? He, he has watched things as awful as it can be. A city besieged by a more, much more powerful, stronger foreign nation, for a couple years now, a few years now, right? Surrounded, besieged, cut off, right? Uh, to the point that, and this is gross, uh, but he talks about it several times here, mothers eating their children. Uh, that's how bad things have, have gotten in the situation, right? People are destroyed, right? As you go through and you read the book of Lamentations, those who were once princes and high officials and priests and, and the upper echelon of their society you now look like homeless beggars on a street corner, right? Uh, the skin hanging off of them, nothing but skin stretched over bones, right? He has watched people, right, die. He has watched the young women raped and the, and the young promising men slaughtered and killed, right? He has watched the destruction. But he still has hope. It's a good thing 
I mean, look, the ones that have not died and the ones that are not killed, they're being carried off to a foreign land as captives. But what does it mean to wait for the salvation of the Lord? Well, for, for him, that means that things aren't always going to be like this. For those that are being carried off into captivity, it meant that someday they were coming home. One day they would be allowed to return. And for that, they needed patience. They were going to have to wait upon the Lord. They were just going to have to wait a while. The Bible speaks often about uh, they that wait upon the Lord, right? And there's a lot of verses that contain that phrase in it. It's because hope is born out of patience. For us, patience could mean a lot of different things, right? It could, be, it could mean waiting on God for an answered prayer. It could mean waiting in long lines of, of cars. It could mean waiting, uh, I don't know, on the results of some medical test or procedure or something, right? But waiting calls for patience. I said that we topped the list in complaints as complainers. I would say we also topped the list, list as some of the least patient people on earth. I heard someone say once, and if I knew where, I either heard it or read it, I'd give them credit, but I don't know. But they said patience is a virtue. Possess it if you can. There are many references to patience in the Bible. But the one that I want to bring your focus to this morning is Hebrews 12.1. Do you remember what it says? It says, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every sin that does so easily, or let us lay aside every weight, right, in the sin that does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, right? That race is talking about that, is, it's talking about our life. Could I tell you something about this race? It requires patience. It's a marathon. It's one of those long, grueling races. It's not a, it's not a sprint. It's not a jog. It's a long-distance race. And you've got to uh, pace yourself in order to finish strong. And that's where patience comes in. You do know, right, that if you finish the race, there's a reward awaiting you? You do know that, right? So Why? Why would a living person complain? Let me throw one last thing at you and I'm done. We have time. We have time. Listen, I'm talking to you this morning. You have time. Look at verse 39 where I started out at this morning. Wherefore does a living man complain? A man for the punishment of his sins. Let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. Let us lift up our heart uh, with our hands unto God in the heavens. What does it mean? Or what do I mean when I'm talking about having time? Well, listen, as long as you're still alive, you still have time. you still got time to do what God wants you to do. And that's really the emphasis here. Living people should never complain about anything. Why? Because while a person is alive, they still have time to change things. They have time to make things right. 
right? They still have time to repent. They have time, still have time to get things right with God. They have time to make amends. They have time to forgive and to be forgiven. They have time to pray, time uh, to study and to learn and to grow with God and walk closer with Him. They've got time to, uh, you've got time still to clean up your life, right? Time to turn things around. I mean, have you really ever taken the time to consider just how precious of a commodity that time is? Let me tell you something about time as I get ready to close. It's what's wrapped up in a, in a second, in a minute, in an hour. And as long as you're alive, time is on your side. But when it's gone, it's gone forever. You cannot get it back. I mean, there's a lot of things that you can do with time. For instance, you can redeem it. The Bible talks about that. You can manage it. The Bible teaches us about that, being a good steward, right? You can manage it. You can put a value on it. Every time you go to work or you do something in exchange for money, that's exactly what you're doing. You're putting a value on your time. You can talk about it. But the one thing that you can't do with it is you can't get it back. Once it's gone, it's gone. In other words, there's no such thing as, like when I was a kid, do-overs and timeouts were a big deal, right? There is no such thing as a do-over, right? There is no such thing, right? You, you can't call a timeout or you can't slow it down, right? You can't even make it up. We like to talk about making up time, but you really can't do that, right? Once it's gone, it's gone forever. That's the reason the Bible says redeem the time for the days are evil. So what are you going to do with what time you have left? Seriously, what are you going to do with it? Can I tell you one thing the Bible says about time? It says today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. That's one thing I can tell you for sure this morning. Right now is the right time. If you're not doing what God has called you to do, now's the time to start doing it. If you're not living the way that God has uh, expects you to live and has called you to live, now's the time to repent and get things right. You, if you're not saved, I, if, if you're not 100% sure what's going to happen when your time comes to an end, because it is and it will be here before you're ready, now is the time. Now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. Behold, right? Today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Would you stand to your feet? Whatever your need is here this morning, the altar is open and I'm asking you, would you come this morning? If you've got a need, if you've got a heavy burden, would you come this morning? Spirit of God dealing with you this morning, would you come? Whatever it is, don't miss this opportunity. Would you come this morning?